0: Welcome back to a super special episode of People Are Wild with me, Kim, your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host, except I'm barely in this episode, and you'll understand why in just a few seconds. I'm going to be doing something a bit different, starting with this episode and going into the next few episodes. Now, just as a quick context announcement, all of this was recorded in the summer of 2019, and... I meant to get it all sorted out before today, but, well, life happens. And I put the pro and procrastinate. But sometimes it turns out that my laziness can spark a better time to release episodes. See, this is the month of February. And February is known as a lot of things. Heart Health Month, Go Red for Women Month, Heart Health Awareness Month. Basically, let's boil it down to this. It's a month for you to get in touch with your heart and really take a look at your cardiovascular health. It's one of those things that we take for granted until something is wrong. It also seemed to be the perfect time to release this episode. So what I'm going to be doing for the next few episodes is bringing you some incredible stories of people who have received the gift of life via an organ transplant. These are stories that are super important, and I really want you to hear fully. So without any further delay, here's Ray's story. All right. So uh, I have with me a very special guest who is taking time out of his day to speak with me about a very important topic and a very personal topic for him. Um, so I have with me Ray. I mean, it would, if you want to just take it from here in, in terms of just kind of sharing your story about uh, organ donation and the whole process that you had to go through. Uh,
1: definitely. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I am uh, 41 years old now and I had j- I got married in 2002 and and you know I actually uh graduated college in 1999 I played two sports in college and and honestly I I thought I was kind of the epitome of healthy and and young dumb and and uh just loving life and working hard and so in 2004 I I was sick for like two or three weeks I was at work and I would come home every night and, and and go to Walgreens and find some over the counter cold medicine that I hadn't ever taken before and try like everything um that they they offered and um and then finally it just wouldn't go away i thought i might might have pneumonia or something like that and um so i went to the doctor and um, the doctor basically looked me over and and she said you might have heart failure and i'm young and i'm like thinking I had a heart attack that she's saying and come to learn that she's, you know, she's, when I went to the hospital to have more treatment, I learned what heart failure was. And it turned out that my heart was enlarging. And so I have on onset cardiomyopathy um, as, you know, as the heart muscle enlarges, it's the one muscle as the, the bigger it gets, the weaker it is. It's it pumps less efficiently. So and it turned out what I learned later is I had had some, some, virus that I I contracted and it attacked my heart. And this is why when you look at the back of a cold medicine or or something like that, it'll tell you, you know, if if symptoms persist, you know, over a week or two, go to the doctor, stop taking it. And unfortunately, you know, I I kind of ignored that. I thought, you know, I was invincible and, you know, and it developed in in, in a strange way. So 2004, I, I was diagnosed um and at, at that time you know i was pretty i was still pretty capable they sent me home with some medication and ch- check in the doctor every once in a while and the thought was you know it's something i need to look out for and, and make sure it doesn't get get worse in 2008 fast forward i got really sick again and and this time i was really slowed down and i i went in the, another hospital and um and they look me over and, and, and just a full workout and, and they decided to implant a pacemaker defibrillator um in my chest to make sure my heart uh didn't get the, the beats were too high or too low. And it, it majorly uh, corrected the type of, of beat that, that was what was uh happening. So um this was intended to, you know, I think really kind of curb or what was happening in my heart, but also, you know, it's it's the next step. Coincidentally, I think in the hospital, I had a stroke and this really like kind of floored me. Um, it, it wasn't something where, you know, it, like knocking on the floor, I was, I was sitting up in my bed and kind of, I felt strange that uh, they had a shift change for the nurses and the nurse would ask me some questions and I could only respond with yes, no basically. And we, she would ask me to, you know, she asked me where I am. She asked me, um, do I know where I am? I said, yes. And she's like, where is that? And I said, yes. And then she, I kept, I couldn't say anything other there, but yes or no. And then I realized something was wrong. You know, they started treating me for that. And, and over the next, you know, three or four days, I ha- had no speech except for those words. Then it finally started coming back to me, um, uh, one word at a time. And over the next year, my speech came back, but I didn't really have any, other big impacts uh, into my life. Um, I was at that time kind of in customer service and sales. So it did affect me a little bit. I am not as um, quick as I used to be. And sometimes I, I, you know, reach for words,
0: but, uh, but for the most part, you know, it was just an eye opener on where I was in my health. So you said though that you had been like relatively, it sounds like you were married for a shorter period of time before everything started. How did that affect your relationship? Well,
1: you know, at the time, um, it, like before it started, before I really got diagnosed, we were busy with our careers and we we're trying to start out and we just, we bought a house and, and I think we we're really focused on like just making a home so we, so we can eventually focus on having children. Um, when we, had our first child in 2005 that's when it really uh, the the gap I guess in my life really started to happen and I didn't really I don't know if I really understood that until the transplant because um you know my my son my old my oldest kid he's fourteen now you know he was he saw he only saw me sick for the first ten years of his life basically like he um he didn't know anything else like dad was just doesn't didn't want to go outside or if he went outside you know he he was he didn't have any stamina and that's just what what reality was for our family I think and you know on the other other hand too I would have my good weeks and my bad weeks you know I I kind of you know it it, I didn't let it stop me from what what I needed or wanted to do but it did impact at times you know I would have these like flu-like symptoms and I just thought I was a little sick It would take me a few days to get back to 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 normal quote unquote normal and um and i would just push forward to that but there was a point usually like mainly in 2008 where pushing back to normal wasn't uh possible without some assistance so so in those days our second child was born in 2008 um and our third was born in 2011 so you know early on our kids just kind of knew us as that like it's just kind of we didn't do a ton. We weren't very adventurous because Dad couldn't be. Uh, you know that that was one thing that changed. You know, I'll, I'll talk to a little bit about that more is, is is what the transplant has done for me. But I will definitely need to stop and give credit to my wife because uh, my wife Amanda, she was just an, an amazing rock from start to finish. I mean, you would think you think like you know you get married young and you don't have kids yet, and with the I'll say the fragility of, of of marriage these days, you know, she always stood by and, and even when I was stubborn and, and didn't want to do treatments or didn't want to go to the doctor, Um, you know, I, I'm kind of raised as like the original caveman, like my father, like he, he would never go to the doctor unless like, you know, he was dying or like his arm was like dangling from a string. Right. So I, that was my, that was my example of like, you don't, you know, Strong men don't go to the go to the doctor, you're admitting you're weak, and that's what you know when I got into this stuff, I had that mindset' of, like we can't afford the doctor um i'm I'm you know as long as I you know drink some chicken soup and, and drink some orange juice, it'll be fine but um those were those were dumb decisions you know in hindsight as far as trying to be tough um because no amount of toughness could have over overcome what I had um so but also you know the one thing is. Is it was slow. I mean, we're talking about uh, a decade before we basically got to 2012. When 2012, I met a, a new doctor through my through my cardiologist, and uh, Dr. MacLuso um, was kind of he specialized in patients that were what they call LVAD bridge to transplant patients. So an LVAD and an RVAD is a left ventricular assist device where I was undergoing a transplant evaluation. Where transplant evaluation is basically a series of tests where you know you, you go, you run on a, on a treadmill, and they measure your 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 intake and, and your blood pressure rises and your 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 the, your heartbeat and all that kind of stuff. And you do some other things with your lungs and you're just basically working over every organ and seeing where you are. And, and in 2012. Um, I was in the middle of an outpatient of the outpatient version of that, that test. So at Monday morning I was supposed to go to work. I remember, and I just couldn't get out of bed. We called the doctors and Hey, just come in. And we we came in and I hadn't even completed the test. And, and he looked, he looked at me as like, you know, there's no, there's no more time. If we, if we wait more, there's the possibility that he would die before, before we get the necessary help.
0: So your heart function was just like totally tanked it sounds like
1: it, it, it was totally tanked it was it was it was very weak and i my norm for the the, the few years before that is you know i, I had worked downtown chicago and i would drive in or, or take the train in and you know i i carried a water bottle like a, a, an empty water bottle with me because like i was i was spitting up blood all the time and what would happen is when your heart function is so weak the blood starts pulling up in your heart cavities, and then it pulls up in your chest, and eventually goes into your lungs. So that's a sign, like like why the lungs are so important in in heart health is because it it, it a lack of lung health usually indicates a lack of heart health. And then there's other organs that do that, like the kidneys and stuff as well. But uh, but there's all these signs where like hey, you know, do you just taking medicine isn't going to cut it anymore? But I was really trying to like exhaust all options before. I considered a transplant. You know, in fact, um, in 2008, I underwent a transplant evaluation, evaluation at that time.
0: Was that before this stroke and everything?
1: Th- this was after the stroke. So after the stroke, okay. and the pacemaker, I was referred to Northwestern uh, Hospital in Chicago, and went there. and And my cardiologist, I guess I, I think he went to school with the head of cardiology in uh, at, at Northwestern, and and I got to to kind of get rushed. I'll say to the of the line as far as, as looking at, uh, whether I should be undergoing a transplant at a time or get on the list, I, I would say. So, um, at, at that time it was kind of determined as 50, 50, um, where, you know, where, you know, basically I was told, you know, this doesn't get better on its own, except for there are times where the heart will just make it a, a, a miraculous recovery and your heart function will, will improve. And, you know, basically scientifically it's it was basically chalked up to it's a miracle like there's things where it would be hard is is they don't understand sometimes it'll get better it'll get worse and there's no no reason that we can that we can really put our finger on so these are this is where we're at in terms of my heart health is i'm kind of relying on a miracle and is that that's probably not the, the the best strategy right um so, but, but my thought in my time, you know, I was, I was my, let's see, 2008, I was, I think 20, like twenty eight, twenty nine. Um You know, I just, I just was, I was afraid that if I did the transplant one, I'd be missing a part of me, right. I, I'm, I'm taking my heart out. My original heart forever and ever. There's no reversing that. But also I, I also looked at it as like, mentally, it was like the last line of defense. And I just didn't want to go to last line of defense so early in my mind, in my life and, and in my journey. So I decided to say, let's just keep going on the medicine. I'll be good. I'll eat healthier. I'll work out all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think for the most part I did, there's always room to be better, but, but, um, but the most part I, it, it really was serious to me, right? I, I had a pacemaker, in my body, I had a defibrillator. I, my defibrillator went off on a, a couple of occasions. So th- those are real world like reminders like, hey, you're, you're struggling. I, I, at that time, you know, I wasn't healthy enough to really like coach my kids in sports or be really, really involved with them. But, and, you know, here and my, my wife is really, she's kind of a single mother that's taking care of me as one of her children a little bit as well. So but, you know, I'm working still, and the important part is the income's coming in. I have insurance, really good insurance that's paying for most of this stuff. So, you know, it's the status quo we're at. So, go back to 2012, there's no more options. Like, the, the waiting for a miracle is not is not on the table anymore. My heart function is ridiculously poor, and we need to act. So, so. It, pretty pretty we've acted pretty fast i went um uh, in surgery they implanted a lvad and rvad into my heart they're basically it's a machine run by external pumps battery powered um where the lvad i the plan was i wear the lvad home the rvad insists or assist in the hospital long enough to where the my my heart function improves and then they can they can explant the RVAD. And send me home with the Elva, which is is basically meant for patients to to go home with. So the plan was great, but it didn't the it didn't go perfectly. So I, I, I contracted a whole mess of hospital born kind of diseases, infections, and that sidelined me. So I was in the hospital way longer than anticipated, actually ninety nine days from start to finish in 2012. Wow. Yeah. And, and most of it was in the, the issue. It's the adult surgical heart unit. Um, it's an ICU for heart patients. So, and a lot of this time I spent, you know, basically in, in induced comas for two to three weeks at a time because my, my function was just so bad. And I was so sick from the, from these, uh, these, these illnesses and these infections. So, so it was, it was, it was a, it was, I'll call it a nightmarish time. Like I have a vivid and imagination to get go, like to, to start and I dream like very vividly. Um, and you know, basically I'm, uh, in, in induced coma and under, you know, all these, you know, agents and, and so I'm having like everybody else is, you know, I'm, I'm laying in the bed for two to three weeks at a time, un- unknowing that like time is kind of frozen in, you know, for me. But in my mind, it's crazy hallucinations, you know, it's, it's like a, it's Willy Wonka on acid in my mind. And I have all these, you know, thoughts and just terrible thoughts of, of where my life's gone. And, and it's so vivid and real to me. And when I wake up, you know, it, I, I think I, it's it's crazy, but I thought my wife left me and my kids, like she took my kids and it turned out she's. I mean, she was right by my side the whole time, you know, and, uh, it, it was, it was, and I think that was the source of us getting over that. I I had, you know, on more than one occasion, I had, um, coded and they had to bring me back. And, you know, later on, I met the nurses that brought me back and, and being there for so long, um, and we, and we had a great network of support. My friends from high school and college and my, my work, they, they would constantly visit me. My family were always up there and we basically got to know the nurses and like family. And to the, to the day I still interact with the nurses uh, on Facebook and, um, and other things. And it came to be this network of support for mental, spiritual, um, way that, that really, I, you know, I credit with making the difference, you know, um, you know, there's, there's transplant patients that were in the hospital, Along with me at the same time that have not fared so good, and I I look at that as is you know, something went right for me that didn't go right for them, and and that, that really affected my outlook and the whole thing. Like, don't get me wrong, I I've, I've taken the time to feel sorry for myself, like I, I why why me why 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 would this happen? But I look at it, I, I look at it totally different. In the end, I look at it as like you know something that I look at is why why me in terms of like. Why am I so fortunate as, uh, to to survive this and and to have such a good life now? So so you know so we went through this you know I, <laughs> there's a time where I woke up and and I was trait. I, I live in childhood. I've never I've never actually never broken a bone to my body. I've never had a cast. You know I don't have glasses. Um, I, I just from from that point of view, all this stuff is just a huge shock. Now you know now I'm, I'm living with undergoing. Dramatic procedures every day, conscious or, or unconscious.
0: And then you also have like the, the LVAD, which is like basically your, your heart is like with you at all exactly, times externally.
1: Right. So, so there's this, there's this myriad of like things going on, like pain management, and, but also I need to stay, you know, involved as much involved in the process as I can. Like there's, there's a point where I've got to be mentally focused and, and now, you know, now at a certain point, they're really focusing on, okay, we've got to get him healthy enough to put on the transplant list. Um, and this is the focus. So, you know, eventually we overcome the heart improves and, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, looking back, it's kind of hard to, to box this in so, so tightly in terms of like, uh, you know, as bad and then it's good because it was really, you know, uh, it, it was, it was really, you know, wobbly at, at, at a certain point in terms of, uh, we didn't know if I was going to make it or not, and, and but you know in the end it, it turned out to be you know a good decision. I went home after 99 days with the Elvad. You know, and before that, because I had all these infections, I my my kids had they weren't allowed up the unit to see me, and it that was a tough time. My daughter, my youngest daughter, had turned one while I was in the hospital. She in November of 2012, she had turned one. And I hadn't seen her for over two months and it was, it was a real tough time for me because, you know, I felt like I was missing all these, this, this great things. And eventually the, the hospital, the the nurses and the the administrative staff and the HU4, they allowed my kids to be, uh, kind of sneak up, uh, the back way on Thanksgiving day. So I got to see my kids for the first time in a couple of months. On Thanksgiving Day and there was a moment like I didn't know if my one year old would recognize me and you know, it was, it was real tough, but she came over right over to me. She crawled up my lap. I was, I tried to pick her up and I was so weak from laying in the bed for a couple of months. I, my, my muscles were basically, um, just not there anymore. Um, and so I couldn't pick her up and, but she crawled up and she said, dad, dad. And so it, that, that really helped me push through the last thing and get healthy again enough to go home. So in, uh, December, uh, I think it was about like December, like the 12th or something like that, I was able to go home. And then, you know, now is, now is the time where I'm waiting to be on the transplant list, waiting for that call. Um, so the, 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 the shift is focused. Now the LVAD wearing at home is not like, a super easy process like i have tubes running out of my skin my body multiple exit uh, ports for tubes that are running to the batteries that i wear kind of like holsters like gun holsters the batteries they wear and there's a computer module like a fanny pack that you wear at night you hook up to some wall units where they look like computer, like old school computer hard drive.
0: You're basically like plugging your heart in.
1: Absolutely right. So so you 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 plug it in. So the the, the LVAD just pumps your body the, the blood to your body. You no longer really have a heartbeat that's really detectable. Um, it's very 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 faint because the heart is is so weak. So you know so I'm have all this this hardware in my body. I have to make sure my batteries are always charged. You know I had to call the when I get home. I we had to call the local fire department department to register that I had all that in case like there was a a, a disaster or a power outage, they would come to our house and and put me on a priority list to make sure that I was okay. So, so these are things like, this is the the new world I live in with this. um,
0: Never would have thought you'd be there when you were like, just thinking you had a cold. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And you know, and, and so like there's, and there's other things like, so you're at this point where, you have, to, you, you have to, at first daily, and then basically like every other day, every third day, as time goes on, with the LVAD, you have to have clean in a sterile environment. So all the bandages have to replace, all the, the, um, you know, all, all, all the stuff has to be clean to replace. So my wife, you know, that was great. So she, you know, the, the nurses taught her how to do it. I was able to do it at home and you've got medical supplies coming and, you know, it's, it's basically you're setting up like a little, hospital room and our, our bedroom and and we would this is the thing like you would just uh, wednesday night we have to go up there and and clean my ports and and change everything the bandages and and uh so we would do that you know the other, other things where like i didn't take a shower i was not allowed to take a shower for like six months from the start of the gal to you know when it got uh when there was, it was a little bit safer so you know you're 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 doing sponge bath baths you know you're you're you are sticking one leg in the shower and but you because you can't get the the shower water in this stuff and it's 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 just a real new a new norm and, and um
0: uh, yeah, it's like the things you never think of that you take for granted absolutely I remember that we i've taken care of or I've been at a few hospitals working in the e r where um they actually have a list of like all the elvad patients in the area in the event that they come in and they're in an unresponsive state because even in the hospital in the ER you have to do approaches differently than you normally would because right. the pulse again it's a whole different world even just trying to figure out when you have an LVAD patient you have to bring down a special team you have to call the cardiology team right. and it's it, and I remember also reading on there about how at least at one hospital um, they always advise that if a patient has an LVAD and they're going on vacation, that they call around the area before they plan the vacation right. so that those hospitals know. And I mean, it has to be like something that you just don't think of, especially because, you know, you're still it's a, in your prime, quote unquote, right, right? Right. You're, you're young, you have a young family. And now you have to think about the fact that if you go certain places, you have to make sure people are aware that you have essentially your heart on your sleeve, if you will. Right. Right. I mean, there was things where like, you know, we never, we weren't in a position, but I, I don't, I didn't
1: want to risk it, but like to, to go somewhere, even either, either semi-local or, you know, if we would actually, we would fly. Like I had this card, like a, a card that would get me through the airport scanners and I would have to take my, the whole unit, um, the, the big like computer hard drive thing. And, and, um, you know, because the batteries, you know, you would have, we'd have several sets of batteries, but you know, you're, you have to be prepared for an outage or some event. And, and I know like they would advise us to, if we were out of the area to make sure that we would know a hospital or a clinic or something like that, they would have the same type of battery charger that as the brand of my battery. So, um so it, it was, it was strange. Like it was, and, you know, we really, I think we played a little bit safe in terms of like, we were a little bit intimidated to, and, but also, you know, it's, you know, I'll be honest, like all the money was going towards hospital bills and all that kind of stuff right then as sure. well. So.
0: I mean, that's the reality, right?
1: Yeah, it, 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 it is the reality. And, but, you know, life, you know, life, life will go on. And, and, you know, I, you know, originally when they put me on the transplant list at that point, I was deemed healthy enough and, and it wasn't just healthy enough as far as physical nature like they they will not put you on the list if they if they feel you're not um not only you know able to receive a heart from a physical standpoint but able to um nurture a heart from a mental standpoint so i wonder I, you know you undergo um just as many tests as, as to, try, to try to assess your mental state and and your support network you know i i don't know if they i don't know if he would ever admit in these words but they're not going to entrust an organ with someone that's not going to take care of it um there's I, there's too many situations where I think people will just they they, they get the organ. I think that the work's done, and it, the work is just begun and um, not all organs are as compatible as other other ones with each recipient the the age and the health of the donor uh really impacts the the overall I'll, I'll say bonding uh, of the 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 recipient and the new organ as well so there's all these variables and factors where they are they're, they're making sure they're making sure that you are a good candidate and like I said, it's not just from a physical standpoint blood type and all that kind of stuff it is the mental standpoint so so you know you you really need to in the hospital and you go visit you need to make sure that that you say and do the right thing. So like they're, they're, they're testing your, your compliance. You know, if they say you need to take this medication at seven o'clock and seven PM, you got, you need to take the medication seven o'clock and seven PM. So be, because you're not compliant, that's just another indicator that this person might not be ready because a lot of LVAD patients go home and they'll never put up, be put on the transplant list, especially older patients that, uh, they're, they're kind of deemed where um, you know, it might be their late seventies or eighties. Um, it, I think it's rare that they would get a, a transplant only in certain situations. So, you know, with, with the, the need of organs, you know, the supply behind the demand for organs, they're, they're pretty picky, um, with, with who they choose. So I was told basically 18 months, give or take, maybe, um, you know, maybe 18 to 24 months, maybe a little bit quicker, but you never know. So I got the call. August of 2013. So maybe uh, seven or eight, yeah, about seven or eight, give or take. And I was anticipating, you know, 18 months. So I was really surprised. I was actually at home working. Um, i had to working full time again, but at home.
0: How is it like just with waiting for that? I mean, do you, it's probably hard to put out of your mind because physically, you know, you're, you're still having to keep up with your medications, your doctor's appointments and And in your case, you know, you're wearing an external uh, device as well. So it's not like something that you could put in the back of your mind and just not think about. So how did you handle the waiting process, thinking it might be upwards of 18 months and not knowing? You know, so there's a couple of things that I think really helped me a lot. I think
1: one is is my faith, Um, you know, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't born having faith and, and I, I had discovered my faith before I went through this, these processes, but this, this really made me stronger with my relationship with God, but also my relationship with people, honestly, like when, when you see people come out in droves and you see your best friend from grade school come out and bring you the paper, you know, and, and drive an hour out of the way to bring you the paper and say hi. And then he stays for 10 minutes before you know the staff kicks him out because I need to go down for a, a scan or something like that, and and doesn't complain. Just it's just just wows you, you know. So and I know not everybody has that, but I had that, and that's where I really consider myself fortunate. The, I, you know, at at the, at Christ Hospital in Chicago, where I, where I underwent the processes and the transplant. Um, you know, we have two of the top heart surgeons in the country and the other staff, it was just so professional, but also so nurturing. I remember one of the surgeons, you know, coming in my room and just for 10 seconds and just checking in on me. And, you know, it's something that I don't think all surgeons do. You know, I, I think, um, you know, they, they trust the nurses and the the, 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 the local staff staff in that department or division, like well, takes care of all that stuff because they're, they're going in and out of surgery and they have barely have time to get a cup of coffee, I think. But like, but it's it just all these little things align to make me feel really good about the outlook. The other thing too is like, and I, I, sometimes I can't believe I say it, but like if you lower your expectations, it, it, it will, it will make you manage this, this kind of situation much better. Um, That's not how I, how I ever look at anything else. Like I, I have high expectations for my children's schoolwork. I have high expectations for my marriage and for how my, do my work, you know, that kind of thing. But I real recognize that a lot of this stuff was not in my control. So in the hospital, they would tell me like, Hey, you're doing so good. You know, we might get you out of here, uh, December 1st. And then December 1st will roll around and that's not going to happen, right? And then December 10th rolls around, it's not going to happen. And so you, you learn to, to, to kind of cope and that was, that was my issue is like, I was steady Eddie up until I was disappointed with not getting to go home because this all, I was single minded. I just wanted to go home. I felt like if I, if I, if I get to sleep in my own bed and, and get off these, like this medication, like clouding my brain and my ability to think I'll be better. Right? And, and, but I had to trust that I was in the right place. I I'm, I was there for a reason, right? Like, so I'm not the doctor. I'm not, I'm not the position to make these calls, but it was tough for me because I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to break. I wanted to like smell the outside air for just a little bit. And I would, I would tell, like, I would, t- I would tell the nurses, like, you just let me go home. I'll come back. Like I will come back just let me go home for a little bit. And, but it just was, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't capable of, uh, at that time. But, you know, so I learned to have like tempered expectations, I'll say. So, um, so with the, with waiting time for the transplant, I was looking at 18 as the minimum time. So I was saying like, you know, I've got to live with this LVAD plus I knew people in, in that, and with LVAD that were living their lives without it. They're never going to get new transplants new hearts, new organs or whatever. And so I was looking at it as like, I'm fortunate to be pretty certain that I'm going eventually get a heart. So, you know, that's really how I did It's like, it's said, faith, te- measured, you know, tempered expectations, just understanding the process and trusting in the process. So, but I, w- I will say that there's just, I was lucky or fortunate to get that call early. And it just for me, I, I mean, I I remember, I, I got the call from the, the clinic, the heart clinic, and there's, they said, you know, we think we might have a match for you. We want you to start packing a bag and, you know, contact your wife and we want you to start making your way up. And this was about 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, I called my wife and I was just like bored. I'm like, you know what, this might be today. And uh, it's strange, enough, but my nose just started bleeding. Like it just, started bleeding at that time <laughs> my wife comes home she and my nose is still bleeding she picks me up go we, we we go to the hospital try to be like not out of control because like i think we both have heard that like i don't know maybe it's a wise tale but uh, urban legend like you know you, you get an accident on the way to get your transplant So <laughs> i remember like, we were driving really conservatively to make sure like nothing happened on the way to get my life saved but my, you know, my nose is still bleeding. I get there, and this is—I'm laughing, like I, I just am so elated, and 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 I'm crying, with it's tears of joy. But at this point, they, they, you know, they said it's not 100%. Like they're they're just getting me ready in position. If they and so they're going to go procure the heart, the new organ, and when they do that, they would they would um give the 100% thumbs up. So with the hospital, and my, you know, they, they had to actually. Call an ER doctor up to help try to stop my my nose from bleeding, and then I think they they called a an ENT person, and they eventually got my nose stopped bleeding. Like I was probably like no kidding, like four hours of of, of my nose bleeding, oh, and yeah, and it's just I think it's just from the anxiety of like wow, you know, this is it's this. like
0: this might be happening. It is, and and, see, and you're related. In one hand,
1: you're related because you're like wow, I'm gonna get better, but the other hand it's a real thing is like there's a chance I might make, not make it through this. Right. Like there it, it's, it is, it is real as real can be. I, I, I can, I can imagine other walks of life where like, if you're, I don't know, if you're a soldier and you're actually involved in your, your first skirmish, like, I don't know, like I have never been, like I'd never done that. I never you know, but I just, the thoughts in your mind, like, you know, the, the, the positive and negative outcomes
0: all laying parallel And and really, it's more like those absolutes. I mean, it's, it's not like there's, there's a possibility, you know, there's sometimes there's a saying that sometimes we say in the ER about there's no, there's no, you might be pregnant, you either are, or you're not, you know, it's kind of like the, I would imagine the same sort of situation where it's like the transplant, it's either a yes or a no. And then even with that, with the actual surgery, it's either a success or it's not. There's no in-between. Right. And it's just the beginning of the process, right? I, mean, I don't think I realize that afterwards, right? Um, so, and, every, you know, it's funny. Like, you go in
1: there and you're like a celebrity. Like, we already have this great relationship with all the staff there. But they know you're coming. You know, everybody's alerted. It's like a holiday in the unit. Like, they're they're just, and I go there and it's like a standing ovation. And everybody is, you know, you're kind of alumni, alumni from that unit and that's what they that's what they've been working for is like we they had a, a special hand in getting me to this point um so they you know they got me ready wheeled me down to the operating room and and they they're telling me like it's they're still procuring it and in this case I don't know a lot of the details you're not allowed to know a lot of the details the details that I know I probably shouldn't have known but it was local the heart was local in chicagoland um where I was and so there's no, no situation of like, they're, you know, flying it in from out of state or they're it, it needs its own jet to, and this is, you know, in my up, the upcoming months, I'm thinking of all these scenarios where you see in movies and stuff like that where, right you know, right. They send
0: the team out and right. they like have to fly out and it's a whole the thing and all that, right? Like exactly.
1: The, right. So, and, and maybe some of that was reality, but, but fortunately, uh. I think.
0: <laughs> I'm like it, it sort of was one of the hospitals right. I worked at that actually was eh, sort of I right mean,
1: sort of right uh but it's probably, yeah I mean, they do
0: send a team out I mean there is definitely a special team that goes out right right uh, for, for the for the procedure right so so I'm I um we're you know we're getting I remember
1: everybody everybody rushed up to the, to the hospital I remember my sister-in-law with her family they were headed down to Tennessee they're driving and and my wife had called her and literally like she, they, they stopped and came back. Like it was, you know, it was, I, 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 I would have been able to talk to him and say, keep going. Like you, you're on vacation. Like keep going. But that's how much, you know, I had some people that supported me around me. And so my pastor was there other, my, my, my brother and just like all these people important to my life and all kind of all aspects of my life were there. It was the most real point in my life. And, you know, besides my kids and, and my marriage, I guess, my wedding, um, that was, that was the real, real deal. And, um, and all these things, my, my kids and my my marriage are hinging on this moment. Right. So, so they will meet back and there's all sorts of people involved, nurses, doctors, and all this stuff in the, in the operating room. And they're basically we're taxied on the runway. I'm in my gurney, they're prepping everything. The, the doctor and and the staff went over there to the, to look at the heart, and um, they actually, he had a video of the organ in the deceased's chest, and it was like the 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 video was of you couldn't see the person. Obviously, it was just the cavity, and the heart is like flopping around like a, like a, a salmon like out of water. And it was so strong, and you could just feel it. Like, and finally, the call came in is like they're on route back there's a thumbs up you're getting a heart and you know next you know they're putting me under so now it's definitely out of my hands nothing i can do you know and then i wake up and i remember waking up i was intubated i looked at the clock and it was about five thirty in the morning and i remember it's just really bright in the room and it's a, it's a different room that i've never been in and i felt like a million bucks i gave, i felt like i could like tear all the tubes off of me and like run down the hall turns out i think it was probably a little bit of the medication i was on but just the joy of like i i'm alive you know i remember so they had to take the tube out of my throat and i called my wife and and i was like you know i feel great i feel like you know i just it was i was just on cloud nine and and i said well you know how did things go how did everything go good last night and she's like no actually that was two days ago, like I had, I'd been sleeping for, I was, you know, under, for, for, I missed the day. So I was like, Oh, that's not the end of the world. Right. Like, um, so then you kind of reality. It's like, Whoa, this is, you know, turns out like everything went well, everything went positive at the end, but there was, there was, you know, definitely moments. Like there was a moment where they came out and, and told my wife there was complications and, yeah, you know, they started, I think around the surgery around five thirty or something like that in the afternoon and ended it like two o'clock at night or something like that. And there's, there was moments where it was, it was not great. You know, Um you know, after the fact I've got, they, 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 they share with me, I've got some pictures of my old heart looks It, it looks like a size of a, a mini basketball and, and you can see the LVAD in it and, and the, the new heart in the chest, which looks like a size of a fist. And you're, you're never, you're, I guess you're never more, you never look more like a, like a, like a, like a human when you see your insides, you know, like. Right. We're right?
0: all, we're all the same on the inside. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Right. It, it, and you see all your, the, your, the yellow fat and all these stuff and you and you just, it just, your, your mortality is, is apparent and, and your vulnerability, but also your, your amazing strength. And, and I think that, you know, I look at it as, wow, like, you, you, I, you know, I said, I, I, a person of faith, but also, you know, for these doctors to be able to do this. And, and honestly, like a heart transplant now is it's, I mean, it's a serious thing, but it's kind of par for the course. Like they, they really, um, it happens daily a lot of times and, and, uh, mul- you know, multiple times a day and, and, um, they expect a positive outcome where, you know, 30 years ago, it's not the, not the same story. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just amazing what they can do. And, and I'll say like they're, they have to be a little bit casual about what they do. I mean, you would think, you know, we celebrate athletes and actors and all this stuff, but there's real life superheroes, doctors and nurses saving lives every day. And, and you don't, we never know their names and outside of medical community. And so, you know, you're just so thankful. And then I just remember like being so thankful and, And uh, so amazed. And so they waited a couple of days for visitors to come. I I saw my wife pretty early, but keep in mind, I'm coming off all these infections. Plus now with your transplant, you are ultra dosed with steroids now. So so now that the game is shut off your immune system almost completely so that your body doesn't reject the foreign organ, right? So a foreign body gets in your body. It, it will fight it. So that's the game plan is now is, is you can't get sick. You cannot be exposed to anything that could, that could jeopardize this, this uh, healing process now. So the game is now is to get me out of the hospital as soon as I can, which is welcome to me, obviously because right? I, I, I had spent enough time in it, but you know, there was, there was a week plus to, 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 to go at least. So, um, I remember, you know, some people got to visit me, and and Gavin Floyd, who played for the White Sox, he was a member of our the, the same church I go to, and got to know the head pastor, and and they actually, the pastor would told Gavin about my story, and that you know I played baseball and, and football in college and stuff like that, and and I had a passion out the White Sox. I'm a White Sox fan still, and and so Gavin came to the hospital um, and paid me a visit. And it was just like, it was, it was so cool. I It was that moment where like you, you see that kid on TV or Facebook or something like that. And, and someone visits them in the hospital. And, and so I'm a kid again. I, it's just, it, it's funny. Like I'm, I'm older than Gavin, but you know, it just, it's just so nice to be kind of treated like a little bit of like a surround celebrity and put out bless. It just, it makes you feel human again. So, you know, I get to visit them and I remember I had to, they they came in and were all wearing masks or they were all wearing masks and I wasn't wearing a mask because, you know, I have to make sure that no germs are shared. And, um, and I wanted to take a picture and I'm like, I'm like, well, if I wear a mask and everybody else take their masks off and they said, no, you just keep your, you know, like they just all keep their masks and their gowns on and just, you know, because obviously the nurses are excited and needs the moment and, as a nurse, you know, I remember there's, there's times where, you know, they're welling up at, at you know, what's going on. And, uh, yeah, you know, I remember, um, before I left the hospital for the LVAD, my wife and I had our 10th anniversary, um, in November and we celebrated in the hospital. And at that point, I couldn't really walk or I couldn't really, I couldn't eat solid foods yet. So, you know, I, I had uh, my sister-in-law she helped me get a, a gift that my wife wanted. And so she helped me and the nurses, I like, decorated our room and, and that kind of stuff. And I just remember the, you mean, know, the nurses would like, they, you, you catch them crying at certain moments and being vulnerable. And, and uh I imagine it's not, you can all, you can't always compartmentalize uh like that because it's just, that it's real life in front of your face. Right. So, but at, at the same time, you know, the nurses are there to, to keep you in check and make sure that you follow the rules because nothing, nothing can interfere with this process now, right? You're, you're another person, you know, is has, has given donated life to, to me. Um, and, and it's important to me. Is like, you know, you, you can't, um, take that for granted. You know, you've, you've been given a second chance and there's no way you can mess this one up. You know, so they released me after 10 days and that was actually and to me that was amazing and, and actually, actually i don't know if it still stands but at that point it was a it was a record uh the earliest release after transplant at the at that hospital so it was it was pretty amazing like i, said, I went home and i got to sleep in my bed my wife had arranged to get a new like uh kind of like a it's a adjustable bed because we had would been sleeping in the same hand-me-down bed that we got like early in our marriage and and uh um, you know so it, it was it was just great to be home i remember at that time I had a blog and um, we were doing um, all this kind of fundraising and my friend had set up this fundraising stuff for us to pay our medical bills. And, and, um, but I, I was just so like elated. And I remember typing this, this, uh, uh, this, this blog post and, and uh, it, was, it was, it was, I, I woke up at like four 30 and they, there was garbage day and the garbage men were taking the trash. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Like, like just hearing them like taking the garbage out. It was like a miracle of life to me. I just, it was, it was just so, um, excited for everything. It was like a newborn. Um, and you know, in a sense I was, but like, but yeah, so, but I, I think part of it is, it was a little bit of the medication was still pumping through my veins. But like I said, there there was a, a, a new bond appreciation for life. And I, you know, but now, now the, the process really starts, you know, where we're having new heart. I've got, a um, get healthy enough to, to go back to work, but also make sure that there, there's no hiccups or, along the way. So so now you're, you're going back to the hospital still, um, especially early to get biopsies of the heart and, and they're measuring pressures and, and measuring all the organs. So, you know, it, it, it would t- it take the next two years, basically when you get to that two year anniversary of your transplant, you got to kind of like graduate to the extended program. So, um, that's, you know, when we get there, you know, by that time, I'm I'm no longer on the huge doses of steroids. Now I'm on rejection medicine that just basically is focused on, um you know, my heart, my body not rejecting that heart, which I take to this day. So I have, gosh, like over 30 prescriptions that I take. I'm type 2 diabetic now. So I've got to watch my blood sugar and take insulin. And a lot of medication is really like is to treat a side effect from other medications. So like the, the anti-rejection medication you take makes you leach, you, you leach like magnesium and potassium to your body. So I have to take supplements for, for that. And then I still got to manage my blood pressure. So blood pressure medicine that I've, I've got to take, at, at, you know, at the end of all this stuff, I've got to take Tums to make sure that my, my, my stomach isn't too impacted by all this medication. So, you know, so now you, now you're just trying to like get a daily routine. Where I'm taking medication, I don't know, I take seven times a day, uh, a handful of pills and then injections for my, for di- my diabetes. To me, I was just so happy to be able to do this, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of anal when it comes to like organization. So, you know, I, I pull up spreadsheets. I make all these spreadsheets for the time with the medication. And uh, when I take them, I've got seven alarms on my, my phone. They remind me this is the time you take them and, you know, now, now it's, this is my job now, right? Like it's to make sure I'm healthy and everything went, went, you know, almost perfect. And, um, eventually I went back to work full time from home, which that, that was a really big thing. I, that's one of the things where, you know, heart transplant is not on the list for getting approved for, Social Security disability benefits.
0: That's crazy to think about. Like what? It is.
1: It it is a it is a life threatening dis- disease. That yeah, just a little bit. Right, current state. It, it it um, it's not curable. Right, like I, I always look at it, and, and like people ask me, like, well, so are you gonna you're gonna have to take these medicate the medication forever? I said, well. Yeah, unless medical science catches up, like there's a good chance. Like, I mean, the advancements that will be out there, you, you never know. But I can't count on that, right? I've got to stay organized. Everybody in the medical field just has to roll with what they got until something else is approved and 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 found a better solution, right? So it's you know the whole process is kind of all encompassing, and um and you know, I I, I gotta repair. And that repair, but I've got to re engage with my wife. And I've got to re engage with my my children. I've got to re engage with everybody in my life that I feel
0: uh, so it's like a whole new learning process, like you said you're you're a newborn in terms of just absolutely not having to be in the hospital for mm-hmm. months and days, yeah, probably as like the time got longer in terms of you know after your two year mark now it's like okay. Now what you know?
1: Right. Absolutely right. So, and then, you know, and, and and my back of my mind is like, you you're, re- you're researching. You're really trying to like. I, I really wanted to just roll up the punches, but then then you just you you can't help but think long long term. Like you know, I'm thinking like, well, if I if I make it, what if I make it twenty years or thirty years or ten years? Like what what's it what's that input packed on my my children? My, my marriage and, and everything else, and uh, you know, things where bad decisions in my life, like, uh, you know, I, I never got like big time insurance before I got started to get sick. And now, you know, you, you know, I'm uninsurable. Like you can't, I can't really get life insurance other than what I have pre-existing, you know, and through my work, you know, so if something happens to me, you know, I don't have that huge insurance policy to like, kick in and, and pay off the house and, and allow my, you know, kids to my wife to like have a new lifestyle and be feel supported. Right. But those are, those are things are like, man, like I, this is, this is more than just, you know, getting an organ, you know, donation. It, it is, it is, you've got to have a better plan, you know, so, so you're, you know, growing up fast and, 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 you know, the transplant was, I was 30, age 35. So in August of this year, it'll be um, six years with the transplant. So, um, but it's, it's gone great. You know, I, you know, when I met, when I crossed the two year threshold, I remember they, they told me that the transplant clinic, they said, you know, now after two years, you're basically on your own. You keep taking your medication. You, um, unless you get sick, we're not going to bring you back in for like, um, a biopsy and all that kind of stuff. You're, you're kind of, scheduled stuff is, is, is gone. You, you're just, you're, you're on your own. You gotta, you gotta learn to, to live with this thing and stay compliant to what we, what we direct you. Right. You're still, you're still coming in like quarterly for checkups, but the big procedures are done, which is a relief to me because I, you know, every time you get a procedure you know, you're going under and, and you know, you're, you're going to your neck and, and going to your arteries and, and, and it's a full day thing of, uh, echoes and all that kind of blood draws and all that kind of stuff. So I've, you know, I've been poked more times to get blood (laughs) than I I can think of, you know, I, um, but so then within like that year, within the course of a year, the, the whole process evolved. So they, they called me up and say, Hey, we're going to schedule you for your, for your three-year biopsy. I'm like, what? There was no biopsy. Like, no, we've changed it. Like, and then, so since that time they've changed the process, more and more and admittedly for the better, right? It's it's more, it's more tests. It's more looking for other signs and it's, you know, selfishly, you know, I I don't want to go to the doctor still. I don't want to go to the hospital for, for these procedures, but it's, it's the smart move. You know, it's, it's being, you know, they're, they're having better follow-up and, but they also know the signs because every, every day that goes by, they learn more data to be able to diagnose you and it's a relatively young field, still, right? Like a lot of stuff, you know, they, they don't know. It's a lot of like, they're, they're still learning medical science and still learning about organ donation and, and how that, how the best do it. And, um, so, um, so I, you know, you just have to roll with the punches. I've gone from like, you know, laying out, letting out a big sigh when they tell me I they need to come in to just accepting, you know, I need to do this and you do that. And, the last almost six years, it's just, you know, making sure you're taking your medication, making sure you're having enough medication ordered or have on your hand, on un- hand, um, and then following up with all these specialist doctors. So I got, I have to see, you know, uh, a kidney specialist, uh, a thyroid diabetes specialist. I've got to see, you know, a heart, a heart transplant clinic. I've got to see eye doctor. I've got all these stuff where it's, it's not like, checkups to just find out if you're okay. It's just, they're, they're checkups to be compliant um, and to make sure that everything um is working well. So, so yeah, that's, you know, and then go back to work full time and, and try to manage other stuff. But you know, it's, 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 it's very manageable, but I always, I also look at it as like, you know, I'm, I'm a younger guy Um and I, I, you know, data and, and spreadsheets. And stuff. It's my, it's what I do for my job. So I'm very like accepting of this stuff. I know there's, there's people that, you know, they're, they're not as good with organizational and I just don't know how they, how they, they make it. Cause it's just, um, it's so much to take in. Um, and then, you, 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 know, there's, there's restrictions on you, you know, obviously you can't, you know, abuse alcohol. You can't, you know, do, do ex you know, things like, you know, if I ever, I I love camping, I grew up camping, but if I, you know, they, they ask me not to go camping anymore because, you know, if I get Lyme disease from a tick.
0: I was going to say like a tick. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's a, it's a huge thing. It could really, it could cause the heart to go under rejection and need another heart, right? Like those are things where you just have to, um, make those sacrifices. And, and at the end of the day, I'm good with it. You know, there's, there's enough stuff that I'm able to do now. I, you know, I coach my kids, in their, their baseball and softball and basketball, the sports, and I'm involved with all this stuff. And, and I, you know, I have a life again. So, and and honestly, like some days I forget, even though I'm taking all this medication, I forget that I'm a a transplant patient. I get, there's, uh, you know, there's quick reminders where I'm like, Oh yeah, you, you can't do that. You know, I'm just so appreciative of my donor being able to accept this heart And, and it's, and, and it being so good to me. You know, I, I learned like right, kind of about the period where the, the guy that, and I would say guy, I don't even know, I, I don't, I think it was, I've heard it, it was a male, and he was like an 18, 19 year old kid. Um, I think got an accident or something like that. So, um, so, I mean, this heart, this heart is way younger than me, and it's like, you know, ever since they put it in, it's like a freaking Ferrari um, you know, beating in the heart of, uh, you know, body of the old Ford or something like that. So, um, I, I, I just, and I feel that, like, I feel like I feel more energized than ever have before. And, you know, so I had time to to make up with my kids and my wife and, and, uh, you know, actually this on Monday, we're, we're headed out to San Diego and things were like, it's a priority. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know, how, I don't even know how we can afford like going on vacation right now we have to, like it's, it's that much of a priority with my children and my family right now is like, we have to make it work because I've got to make sure that my kids don't get gypped in the end. You know, like no matter if, if I, if I if doesn't work out tomorrow or if it works out for the next 30 years, I have to make sure that I have a plan and it involves my kid's happiness. And, and it's you no, know, it's, it's a sacrifice. Like I remember I thought this thought like a ton of times where I don't know if I was maybe trying to like justify what's happened is like, I always think like especially especially my kids were little, little, I, you know, I said, you know, if I don't want anything to happen to them, if If something needs to happen to someone, put it on me. I'll bear the brunt of it. As long as, you know, my child doesn't have to suffer from this. And, and, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's not what happened, but, um, that, that's, that's kind of, kind of how I think is like, if anyone's going to do this sacrifice for my family, I'm happy to do it. So, um, that, you know, it, it, it's, 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 I don't know if it's a strange way to look at it, but it works for me. Um, and, you know, we're, we're back on track. And, you know, I said six years, um, in August is coming up. And, um, my, like I said, my oldest is 14. And, you know, I, I but I also, I, I, I have the, you know, you have dark thoughts of, you know, I just, I need to make, I need to make it to my, my daughter, my youngest daughter gets married and I want to, I want to meet their grandchildren or their their children, my grandchildren, you know, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm hoping that it's going to be a long, long time, you know, but I also, I don't, you know, how many heart transplant recipients are 80 years old? You know, I, I know the, the longest surviving transplant patients, I think, you know, it's like been, I think it's like, coming up in like 35 years or something like that. So that's, that bodes well, but it doesn't bode to like 80 or 90 years old. I mean, when I was a a kid, one one of my number one things I wanted to be when I grew up was I wanted to live to be over a hundred, you know, and that's, I don't think that's going to happen anymore, but it's adjusting to a new norm and, and realizing like there's more important things and they're right there in front of your face every day. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it's gone very, very well. Um, you know, um, and the way I, the way I, the way I kind of look at it is like, and this is just me, you know, I, I said, there's people in my life, there are transplant recipients as well, that they do it differently. But I, I just, I don't let my condition define me. Like I support any way I support, like life goes on and, uh, all the, the uh, transplant agencies and we were very um, proactive. We try to be very proactive in, in making people aware and, and helping and, and advise people to like sign up to be a donor. But um, I don't want it, it to define me. Like I, I, you know, it's, it's a part of my life, a huge part of my life, but um, it's, I, I don't want it to restrict me. So that's the way I look at it. But you know, so I'm always, I'm always, happy to share. And if I can, if someone can learn something from me, um, good or bad, you know, um, to help them make decisions, that's what I always want to do. So.
0: That's perfect. My thing that I have to round out with this would be, what would be something you would want to say? Like, if you were able to, to face your donor, what would, what would be something you would want to say to them? Well, well, so, so actually
1: I'll back up a little bit, right? So, you're allowed as a, as the recipient, you're allowed to write a letter to your donor. Right. So, and I really struggle with this. Like I, I pride myself a little bit on my, my word smithing ability. And, but I also, it was, it was a very sensitive subject to me. And I mean, maybe I overthought it, but you know, you're, so you're writing to your donor's family. So you write, you can write a letter that you send it through to life goes on and they they send it to the family so you're never allowed to initiate contact with the family they they they're allowed to initiate contact with you right so i always like you know there's i have one chance i don't know anything about my donor i don't know anything about their family um so i want to pick the the right words right i want them to know that i'm appreciative but i also you know don't know the situation like i don't know if it's a good situation and, and so the, the one thing with, with the word is that he was a very young guy and, and he might not even realize when he signed up to be an organ donor, he might not have realized like what that effect was, right? It used to be in Illinois, if you signed up to be an organ donor, you still had to have the, the approval of your family. A few years ago, that was changed to where you have the, the, um, primary right to be an older donor or not you doesn't have to be approved by your family. So when, when he when he did that, knowing or unknowing, you know it really affected changed dozens and dozens of lives. Now, not only myself but you know it affected my wife's life, my children's life, my, my family and friends, the girls that I coach, my the boys that I coach, um, the people that I work with, all these people are affected directly indirectly, it's a story, right? Like the story that it, you know, you know that you'll share from me. The story that I've shared with with dozens and dozens of people that inspire people, right? Like that help people slow down and, and realize our the humanity that's possible, the, the the mortality that, that lives within us, and all these amazing things that we can do. They're what you believe, you know. I think everybody can can get behind the the like the power of life and um and, and giving people second chances and that's that's what it has done on top of that i, I don't know we never learned a connection but um i have a friend that her friend supposedly received lungs on the same day that i received my heart Put two and two together it's probably the same person right and you know one donor can can save the lives the life, or not only just save the life, but affect the life directly of, of a, a bunch of people, tissue donation, cornea donation, all this this kind of stuff can make people's lives better, but also save lives. Um, so this person, in my mind, it, it, whether they, they meant to do it or not, it's an absolute hero. Um, I wish that you know my, my the donor family never responded. <laughs> I mean, I, emotionally, I don't even know how to respond to that because I'm an emotional guy. And then to have that kind of moment where, you know, you, you see the moment where the, the, the donor family comes up and wants to listen to the heartbeat. Like, man, I like, I, I break down when I see that on a video, right. If that happened to me, in real life, I, you know, wow, it would just be, that would for me. So even without those moments, it's so special. And if, if that person was 19, 18 years old, obviously he didn't get to start his legacy. Like there's no, he didn't, wasn't even able to carve out his piece of life, um, to its fullest yet, but that's why it's, it's, it's another important thing for me to make sure I take care of this heart and, and carry on that, that legacy. I, I, you know, it's so, I, I know some people that have had to get a second heart and it's not their fault, you know, but they've had to, and they've gotten that. And I, I want to make sure that almost, you know, pitch a perfect game with this one, because I, I I, I don't want to have to go through that again, but I also selfish. I don't want to be selfish and, and have to require another heart. I, 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 and this is something where I think most recipients think about is, is someone for, for kidney donation, someone doesn't have to die to receive a kidney, right? You can, you can have a partial kidney or one kidney.
0: You could do like the donor train, the living donor stuff. Yeah. Right. But for a heart, we, didn't, we haven't found that we haven't
1: figured that out yet, right So someone had to die sure. for me to live. but you have to realize like for me to live that didn't cause someone to die right So some, someone died but have, had the foresight to say if I die, make sure some you know make sure I help people right and um, and that's what happened. And you know I, I see a lot of things and I, I, I never thought like I, I would always I thought like donation, everybody in the world would be pro donation. Like you would think why, why in the world would you not want to be a donor? uh, None of the major religions forbid it. Um, There's nothing, there's nothing in Christianity or or Islam or anything like that, that says you you shouldn't do this or you have to be buried with your organs to, to really see paternal. It's not, it's not, it's not a thing. I thought it might be, but it's not. Now with that, you you think you would like clear all the obstacles. But it's not even close. If you look on some Facebook posts, Twitter posts about, about this, especially some community, uh, uh, I'm a minority myself and, you know, uh, the, um, I've seen posts, especially in the black and Hispanic community, they, they do not, a lot of that, they do not trust the transplant process. They, for some reason, um, a lot of people feel that doctors will let you die so that they can donate your organs for profit and, it's, it is a terrible thing for people to, 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 to propagate that thought because that is not even close to true. And it can't be close. It can't even be true because there's so many restrictions, how the process works. It's just, it, it is not a process that works behind the scenes underground. It's, 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 it's not a thing. And, but unfortunately it's, it's a thing that, that keeps people back. And I know, you know, from trying to work with like uh, life goes on and, 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 uh, donate life organizations like these, these agencies, that that's one of the biggest things they try to do is try to get minority donor, um, rates up. Um, they want all rates up, right? But, uh, minority donor rates are, are the, the, they're pretty poor and it, there's no restriction. Like a, a, a white person can receive a heart from a black person. A, a man can receive a heart from a woman. There's no restriction on that kind of, those kind of things. You know, even if you have HIV or some or other, serious disease like that you can still be a donor right there, there's all these things where there's a lot of myths out there it is and it's unfortunate because anybody can type anything and spread just nonsense and um and unfortunately people believe a lot of the nonsense more than the reality um so there there, there is a big need for advocacy like i said i i thought I thought, like you know, it would be a layup. Uh, Illinois, you can you can you know register to be donor online. Um, I know our surrounding states the same thing as well, and it takes it takes a minute. Put in your your driver license information on the state of the Secretary of State uh, site, and it takes a minute to do it. But people don't want to do it, and there's that myth. And, and I think that's what kind of motivates me to always, you know, I'm not never reluctant to talk, about. It. I don't mention it. The first thing I have a gate, like I don't walk around and say, Hey, I'm a transit patient, but I'm never hesitant to talk about it because you never know who is. Um, anti-donor, you know, you never know who's anti-vax, you never know, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff. People, they, you know, they, they look just like us, right? Like,
0: and it, and it, and it could be from a place of just genuine, Uh, misinformation, not necessarily even just like, you know, their, their strong health beliefs. It's just that maybe they haven't met somebody who's received a transplant or they just don't have the right knowledge base in front of them at the time. And I think it's so important. That's what, you know, I'm trying to do with this sort of project is to get as many sides as I can to, to dispel as many of the, the, inaccuracies out there because, um, I mean, I do work in the ER and I've, I've, I've been the person on the other end of the line that calls the phone to, to talk with the people at donate life or, or whatever the, the state donate life is at that level. And, you know, I've, I've received letters from them about people who have had transplants after we start the process in the ER and, like you said to me, I, it's almost a no-brainer. Like, yeah, when I'm done living this life, please, right. by all means, take whatever you can from me. But it's so interesting the pushback that you get uh, with some people or in certain um, right communities or what have you that that are based more so off of myths and and inaccurate information. Um, and you know, I'm I'm very much gung ho about public health and public awareness and and being a resource for people. But I don't, I can't speak to what's it, what it is like to, to receive an organ. So, I mean, having you taking the time to talk with me and, and allowing me to share this with uh, a more, more of a, an audience, I think it'll just help people with just hearing personal accounts from people who are actively living as a result of organ donation. And it's so important to hear those stories, um, because I think you don't hear those stories right enough.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, mean, I think that what it all comes down to, and this is the unfortunately this is the age we live in, is is fear. Right, like everything. Unfortunately, fear moves. Fear moves the needle. Like, and it's it, it's abused by it's abused politically. It's, it's abused by you know by businesses for for profit it, it, and. And it shouldn't be that way. Like, and this is like, this is the, the main thing that I try to, do. I don't, I don't try to live my life out of fear of dying or fear. I try to live my life out, out of, you know, appreciation and, and a positive nature, right? I, I I look at the positive side and maybe to, sometimes to a fault, but like, it it's, you know, it, it's just, it's very, it's very fulfilling to look at that way. It's very exhausting to live in, under, in, in a life of fear. And if you're afraid that being a donor will cause your early demise, if you're afraid to, you know, to go to the doctor to get checked up, you know, I, I've talked to uh, a coworker of mine that her, her, her father has heart issues and he's, you know, he's afraid to get um, an LVAD. And like, there, there's these things where it's like, um, you Fear, you're just, you're not your best self if you're, if you fear is your motivator, right? Like, sometimes there's nothing else, I'll say for a moment, but if you bring it back to a positive spin, to a positive outlook, you're going to be much more successful, whether you're a donor or a recipient or a family member, you know, because, you know, like for every donor, there's dozens of family members. There's every recipient, there's dozens of family members, right? And they're affected... Uh, almost as much as, as both of those people at the, at the front of, of that line. So, um, and the nurses, I, 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 I imagine in your line of work, you know, in the ER, fast paced, you know, it allows you to, to compartmentalize a little bit, but there's no way that you're not
0: impacted and affected by the stories you see, positive or negative, right? Like, oh yeah, there's definitely stories that, you know, you, they stay with you. You're, they're, they're the stories that you carry with you. And a few of them do actually surround people who've gone on to do organ donation. I mean, you you know that you get to know that person who is your patient as not just a patient, they're their person. Because you, I mean, even in the ER for a few hours, you're there with their family. You're present in every right. moment. It's not like you unplug right. in those moments. If anything, you're more attentive because you want to be that person that could be that bridge between this catastrophic emotional event that's going on for their loved one and the next steps.
1: Right. I mean, it's the, one of the things I saw recently, as I saw uh, an article about a doctor and I think she might've been early, like she's early in her career, but she has, she, she's on the other side. Now, now she has to receive a transplant and like, you know, like, doctors and nurses and medical professionals are, are people too. Like, so it's just all like it all, we all need to work together no matter what side you're on, because you can be on the other side just as quick. Like, you know, unfortunately, like I, I think I'm because all my medication and my, my condition, like I'm not, I'm never going to be able to donate my heart, but there's other things I could donate. I could donate my tissue, my cornea, you know, um, that, that can be used. And so, you know, you can go from being the the recipient to possibly being the donor one day, right? And we're, we all we're all going to die, and and you've got to be able to embrace that a little bit in terms of like, well, what is your plan? Your plan should be to include sharing that that portion because the, sharing money is one thing, but sharing life is is invaluable, right? You, you you can't there's no there's no amount of money you can put on that, so um, it's it's just so. Such an important cause, but it's tough. I mean, uh, there is a there. You know, there's Donate Life Month and and Green and Green and Blue Day to to represent it. But it, but some of that stuff is it's not widely accepted. Like there's um there's certain organizations like American Heart Association where it's 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 big enough and it's it's it, it, and obviously it, it affects the donation the heart transplant world, but the 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 transplant advocacy is still I'll say like a sub like a, a sub uh cause like it, it should be way higher up um in terms of like what what people decide but I think there's a lot of people just assume they assume there's gonna be enough organs and it's not the case um you know it's it's just not the case
0: so to round it out, what's one thing that you would want people to take away just from or a little discussion in your journey.
1: Just be positive, you know, just always have a a positive outlook, whether, whether you're sick, you're, you're recovering, whether you think that this will never happen to you, you just have to have a positive outlook because there's, there's so much, of this stuff you can't, it's not up to you. Like me getting this, like with, with heart failure, like I had cardiomyopathy, they chalk it up to three, three causes, hereditary, viral or uh, alcohol abuse like so, so hereditary and alcohol abuse was not in the picture and so it it was viral and there's nothing i could have done about it like it, it was kind of it was when they told me that it was a relief and a slap in the face because you know it's one is it was a slap in the face because i felt like you know why me but also it was relief because i felt like i didn't do it to myself right there's nothing i could have done so i could have taken I could have felt sorry for myself, been depressed about it, um or I could have embraced the battle and um, you know um, had a positive outlook and and that's what got me through you know um, I hope the don- the donor family still so thinks positively about their their family member and what they um what the impact was about um, donating the organ so I think that's my message is is you know be positive share because you never know when you meet what other person that could be needed, not just you, it's, it's your family, you know, and it could happen to the healthiest of people and it, it's nothing to do with like that person is likely going to need a, uh, an organ one day. It, it could, you know, you could be that person. It's it's not about the fear of it, but it's the reality.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon and taking time out of your day. No problem. I, I, I really loved it. I always love talking about
1: um, donation and being a recipient it's therapeutic um, for me as well, so thank you.
0: Thank you again, for Ray, for joining me in sharing his journey and in sharing his story with all of you. Thank you to Meg from Chicago for helping me to find people who wanted to speak with me. Thank you to Melissa from Moms and Murder. Yes, you are getting your very own shout out too. As without your suggestion, this whole project and undertaking wouldn't be a reality. And many thanks to editor extraordinaire TJ for literally making this episode. Now, please click the links in the show notes regarding organ donation. It is chock full of good info, but this is not the end of the storytelling. As stated before, doing a little bit of a different motif for this month, and the next story in the next episode you'll hear is unbelievable and inspiring in its own way. And on that note, I just want to say, believe in the good practice random acts of kindness, and consider becoming an organ donor today.